Welcome to the DE Talk podcast. Tune in for dialogue between HR experts to amp up your HR strategies. Don't worry, we'll mix in a few laughs as we know you need it. This is Candy Chambers and you're listening to another episode of the DE Talk podcast. Today I have the pleasure of sitting down to talk to Janet Fiore, the CEO and President of the Sierra Group, a nationally acclaimed workplace consultancy, which facilitates trainings to entice change in disability hiring practices. Janet is recognized as a national authority on disability, diversity, and compliance policy and procedure for businesses, and is an award-winning speaker who routinely provides commentary to the media, as well as testimony for Congress, the GSA, and the Department of Veteran Affairs. Welcome, Janet. Thanks, Candy. Thanks for inviting me. We're happy to have you as part of our our second season of the DE Talk podcast. So I have a few questions for you, and so I'm just going to go ahead and get started. I actually actually met you through Shannon Offord, I believe, uh, who is our VP of Partnerships, and I'm incredibly thankful he introduced us because of your work in the disability space and, and the fact that it is just completely unparalleled. For our listeners who aren't familiar with your background or the Sierra Group, I don't know who they, those people would be, but <laughs> can, can you share a little bit about yourself? Certainly. I would be happy to, Candy. I started out my um, professional career thinking that I was going to go to law school and be an employment lawyer. Hmm. So I've always had a desire to help everybody have the career that they wanted. That quickly turned to working in, um, working at a law firm as a paralegal, then working for an insurance carrier handling commercial liability claims. Hmm. It was way back then that I learned about catastrophic loss and how there was technology and devices that could help someone who'd been seriously injured, maybe became quadriplegic because of an accident, live and work independently. Interesting. That it's funny. I I know a lot of labor and employment attorneys, and my own daughter went to law school. And I asked her what field she was going to go into because I had been in HR my entire career. And and I said, "You're probably going to go into labor and employment, right?" And she said, "Heck no, mom." <laughs> and she ended up going into elder law. And I I couldn't understand why she thought that was going to be a good practice. And I said, "Well, you'll never pay off your school loans." And I I guess I hadn't thought that people were getting older and, and baby boomers were, were aging and, and more people needed elder law attorneys. So I, I had to laugh when you talked about working for an insurance company because I worked as an intern while I was in college during the blizzard of 78. So you talk about wow. it. So I think we're, we're kind of on the same same page here, Janet. Yeah, and definitely. And, and the employment lawyers that hire me now to help them with what's called accommodation scenarios, they say to me, you pick the right job because you get to really do something that's impacting the ADA <laughs> and the change. And we're, you know, we're here to make sure that people are, you know, following the law. So I look at it as, as kind of a sweet partnership, the way it all turned out. I, I think, Who knew at the time, though? <laughs> I, I think you're exactly right, Janet, and you've done some great things, and we'll talk about that a little bit here. Um, how do you hope when you're when you're doing training or, or even today, how do you always hope to impact your audience? It's my number one goal, and it has been from the day I founded Sierra Group back in the 90s, 
I want to make a significant, noticeable difference in the lives of the people that I interact with, the businesses, as well as someone with a disability. And in making that difference, I want to reverse the high rate of unemployment. Unemployment for people with disabilities is still the higher, highest mm-hmm. of any number of a diversity group, and it just doesn't have to be candy. Uh, you know what? I, I wholeheartedly agree. I recommend that you know the the diversity and inclusion space is so big you know again and and i don't disagree but you know i did diversity training in the year 2000 you know um for 22,000 employees face to face um so it's so different today but you know the and i don't like considering it a program it's an initiative but but the thing is what i think people miss on on diversity is disabilities, people with disabilities, because I always say around my office is that disabilities don't discriminate. You can focus your (laughs) efforts on people with disabilities, and you're going to get people from every other protected class on earth, because absolutely, yep, and and you can focus your efforts and and target your your um, efforts on hiring people with disabilities. And I think that makes so much sense. But we'll have to w- keep working on that to get people to understand that. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. And when, when looking to increase diversity across the board for every protected group, that is the factor that most don't think about within every protected class. I'm a woman. I'm a woman with a disability. Mm-hmm. Like it, you're, you're almost getting a buy one, get one, right? Exactly. It can be a super. <laughs> Don't leave out the work with a disability. Studies show that in diversity initiatives, Candy, only 7% of companies that have a full-blown diversity initiative are focused on how to deal with the disability portion of that. Again, it's just awareness and learning. I, I, I really think so. And, and you know, I, I think with all of the events of the very recent past, I think the focus is is more on people of color, but I think if we opened our our minds and and you know addressed individual biases that people have we would serve every population better you know and and i think that's that's something that really needs to be the focus moving forward um tell me about your journey when you did create the sierra group tell me about your journey as a female entrepreneur with disabilities you you commented (laughs) that you have disability as well. And and I'm in your same boat. So um, yeah, tell me about your journey. Well, thank you. I, I started my journey back in 1992. And I did not have any disabilities. I was drawn by what assistive technology can do to let a person who'd become injured or was born with a disability do anything they wanted. I have entrepreneurial uh, juices in my blood. (laughs) I'm a second-generation American. My grandparents, all four of them, didn't know each other at the time. All four of them fled communist Romania for a better life in America. And my grandfather, my dad's dad, started a trucking business where he sold international harvesters. I, I really wish... I wish I understood where he got the funding to do that back then. <laughs> it was a question that, you know, he died when I was 16 and I just never thought to ask it. <laughs> but my dad taught me a motto that I've lived by that really was really what led me to become an entrepreneur within a niche that back in 92 really didn't exist. 
he said, if you want to do something in life, if it's worth doing, it's worth fighting for, and you hit an obstacle, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. My entire life, my dad said, we can figure that out no matter what problem he was faced with. And people that know me well either love that or hate that because I tend to be incredibly tenacious and I've got a whole lot of creativity behind that tenacity and I don't usually back away until I've figured out a solution. That's that's what got me started. I saw the ADA came into um, law and it said people with disabilities were going to have the chance to go to work. In my love of technology and all things, all gadgets, it just kind of came together and I said, I'm going to do something with this. Wow. Well, I, I think you had uh, some great direction from your dad. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> that, that's amazing. Um, gosh. I, I, you know, I, I have I have questions I want to ask, but I, I have some I'm going to uh, <laughs> diverge away from a little bit just because he's he's got so much um, good good um, information that he's provided you. Aside from you having that ability to, you know, have that tenacity to move forward and everything, what what would you say the hardest part, or was it just the financing, the hardest part of getting started? <laughs> And it's, what and what kept you pushing forward? Is it that that you know training that your dad had provided? It's in in large part. There's not a day goes by that that I don't at least in my own mind say I can figure this. Out. <laughs> um, the, I'm going to put you on speed dial. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, not kidding. Exactly. <laughs> Remember the easy button. You can just push it. You know, the recording. Um, the I think the hardest part of getting started was proof of concept because in the Janet Fury mindset, I can do this. There's technology that can help. One of my very first um, accommodation requests that came to me, um, a person had fallen down the stairs and became quadriplegic and he wanted to learn to be a computer programmer. And my immediate reaction was, we can figure this out. It's going to be difficult. It's going to take a lot, but we can figure it out. Improving that concept was difficult because it takes time and money to find any solution. And in the early days of the company, the solutions were this gentleman, whose name's Elliot, um, the solutions were his technology and adaptive technology was upwards of $20,000. That same accommodation today would be about six or 700, but proving the concept could work when somebody had to write a check to pay for it. That was difficult day in and day out, but thanks to the public private partnership between government agencies like the uh, vocational rehab programs Mm -hmm. that are in all 50 states and businesses that wanted to be inclusive even way back then. The ADA was a catalyst, but convincing people to have the mindset of it really doesn't hurt to try. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. And what I say so frequently is that, you know, it takes a leader 
who has a disability or who has a family member with a disability, um, you know, I, I think people have the idea that it will never happen to them. And, you right. know, I, I found out I had type 1 diabetes when I was 25 on my older daughter's second birthday. And I remember my younger right. daughter telling me um, she was born two years later and she said, you know, mom, I've never known you as a as a non-diabetic. <laughs> I thought, wow, <laughs> that, that was true, you know, but that was pretty wild. But, um, you know, I, I literally took the attitude that, you know, I by the time we're older, we'll all have something. And I just got mine early, you know, and, right. and I think we need to start recognizing i mean you and i do but i think we as as a people need to recognize that you know we all have something that that you know is maybe different i don't want to, i don't really like the word different but you know an issue that we are dealing with i don't even like the word disability i i have a condition i live with you know and Correct. And, and so that's where i think um we, we tend to put almost a negative connotation on it. It's just who we are, you know. And when my daughter said she didn't know me before I had diabetes, I thought, wow, she she doesn't know me except as a person with a disability. And that's why I don't right. like that word, you know. So, um, it's, oh, go it ahead. It is kind of humbling. No, it's, it's kind of humbling to, to think about that. And in, in 92, when I started my company, I did not have a disability. I really had seen through my work in the insurance industry in catastrophic loss, I saw the ability to help others. And then I had a health crisis in 2004. Um, I developed stage four breast cancer and then the chemotherapy that saved my life. Thank goodness. I had radical surgery and chemotherapy and a blood disorder that I didn't know I had caused a reaction so the bones in my hip side. Oh and that's my. when I became someone with physical disabilities that I would compensate forever. I also developed an autoimmune disorder mm-hmm. with my vision. So I have a chronic um, impairment with my vision. I have some issues to this day from bone death in the bottoms of my feet and my hips. Oh. And guess what? I just accommodated. If I, if ever I had to learn that receiving help by way of an accommodation is hard work too maybe that helps me see Mm -hmm. that it's a humbling experience to accept that you have a limit that you didn't once have and then just find a work-related workaround i i i wholeheartedly agree i i had a serious car accident last year and was in a i broke my wrist had a a plate and eight screws i broke my leg broke my sternum and was in a wheelchair for six weeks and then in a brace for eight weeks and um, I'll tell you what, that really taught me a lot um, because I, I, you know, was in a wheelchair temporarily, but actually learning what people have to, what they have to accept, what they have to um, understand and, and the limitations that come with that. And then the, you know, the people that want to just push you because they think they, that you need help. You know, I, there's a lot of things yeah. that people don't understand. And I know you do some training in some of those areas. So we're going to talk about that in a few er- in a few minutes. But, you know, there's so much that people don't know. I'd never been in a wheelchair and I could right. not put weight on my foot. So I didn't have a choice. I mean, people would wheel me into the bathroom and, and it's, you know, it's hard to, to accept that type yeah. of assistance, you know. And so um, there's a lot that people can learn. And that's, I guess, Janet, why I've been so, so excited to have you on this podcast because of some of you, you do things in, in your training that 
people don't do out there in the workplace, <laughs> you know, as far as certifying <laughs> recruiters and that sort of thing. So um, what would you say that the most prevalent requests um, are that you receive from employers? That's a great question. And I think the number one, there, there are two requests. We're scared to do it until we get some sensitivity and awareness training. Mm-hmm. We don't want to offend anyone. The fear of offending a person by doing or saying the wrong thing or getting it wrong is an underlying issue for most folks that are looking to make an accommodation. And then they want to be fair. People want to be fair to the worker with a disability and they want to be fair to the whole team. So how do I get started on the right track Mm -hmm. so that I don't run amok of the law or undercompensate or over, you know, overreach. So, so I really think the number one request is how in the world do we get going with this? (laughs) Well, you know what (laughs) I, and then it's easy. Once, once I can help this person pass that fear and, you know, just be aware and realize you're doing the right thing. And, you know, the ADA police don't usually come arrest anyone. (laughs) There's, you know, there's, an interactive process is what it says. You interact and you figure it out and you communicate and talk about it. And then once you've identified a work-related impairment, maybe a person has arthritis and they can't use the keyboard. Now you know that they're typing slowly and they could lose their job because of production. Now we're dealing with something that's easy to fix. Right, right. You know, I what I've learned, and I'm talking about myself as a recruiter um, or even a compliance person in corporate America, you need a safe space. You need to have yeah. somebody that you can ask a stupid question of. And, <laughs> and it really, because you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, you can, you can ask questions and not have somebody come down on you. I, I um, have always had people in my life like that, that I could ask questions to. And it, it goes so far as, you know, in, in helping me be better, you know, and, and right. I, I still make plenty of mistakes, but I mean, it, it's nice to have somebody to have that safe space and you can ask that question. You're afraid to ask someone else and, yep. and not feel like you're going to be, you know, looked down upon. So, um, exactly. it, that is a challenge. How do you continue to learn on, on your own and, and stay on top of things, um, in, in your own role and, and update your training and how, what do you do to, to learn yourself? I love following uh, trends and legislation. I subscribe to all sorts of trade journals, um, disability-related. Being a member of the International Association of Digital Accessibility has been a great learning for me because the, uh, the roadblock for the future of people's facilities is lack of digital access mm-hmm. to everything that we know. Um, I think the number one way that I, there, there are two number one ways I learn. I go to conferences all the time. I don't just speak, but I attend every session and ask questions and develop relationships with others that are doing something in the space like all of you guys do at Direct Employers. I learned so much by coming to your event a couple years ago out in Seattle. Well, you are hearing welcome what people, anytime. <laughs> he, 
hearing what people need, hearing what recruiters are faced with and understanding their challenges and then finding myself a mentor in any industry that I don't know enough about. Learning from people that know what they're doing. Um, you know, that's, that's really how I keep, I keep fresh and keep, keep my uh, personal skill set going. Uh, you know, I, I had somebody reach out to me probably five or six years ago and ask me to be a mentor, and nobody had ever asked me that before. <laughs> and and you know, it's it's kind of a kind of a neat thought, and we we do that with our members here. Um, but you know, I, I've not thought of it in my current role to reach out and still. I mean, my my younger daughter always says, you know, she doesn't understand why people think that when they reach a certain level, they they can stop learning. She said you have to constantly learn, you know, to, to keep improving exactly. yourself. And, and, you know, that's a neat idea. I think anybody could could afford to have a mentor at any stage in their career. Um, I think that's a that's a good piece of advice, and that's not even something that we planned on talking to you about. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so the Sierra Group Foundation, it's it's a nonprofit that you also lead. It runs the, the region's largest adult vocational training program in Philadelphia. So could you tell me a little bit about that program? I'd be happy to. Um, probably, it was probably around the year 2012 that the Liberty Resources Academy that Sierra Group had consulted on and helped develop came to us. Liberty Resources is a center for independent living that deals with advocacy issues for individuals with disabilities. We had created a vocational training program for them, and they came to us and said, so many changes are going on in employment that you guys at Sierra Group are staying on top of. Why don't we reverse the relationship here, and instead of paying you to help us run this program, why don't you buy it back and run it yourself? (laughs) So (laughs) they wanted us to do that, but they wanted us to do it through our nonprofit foundation, the Workplace Technology Foundation that does business as Sierra Group Foundation. That meant that we were going to be able to take everything that we had learned in years of helping worksite accommodations and dealing with business needs and individuals with disabilities being accommodated one at a time, that let us kind of go to more of a systemic program Mm -hmm. where we bring in people with disabilities remotely or on site and teach them business skills as well as any technology skills that they need, adaptive or otherwise. It's, it's probably, it's, it's a project that, that lights up my heart mm-hmm. and makes me feel really good because we're helping workers, be, we're helping people with disabilities become workers who may have thought that their disability was too severe or their education and upbringing had not enabled them to know how to use technology and get ahead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's funny. I think this remote work that everybody is participating in, I, and I've said this for several years, but remote work is by far the absolute best for people with disabilities, especially serious disabilities that where they have to have maybe a caregiver to help come in and get them ready for work or have transportation issues, and and they're capable of working. This remote opportunity is spectacular for them. You know, and it's amazing. And it it yeah. really is, and and they can, 
you know, add value and feel good about themselves. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity. And I, I hope we see more and more companies willing to take that, that opportunity on. Um, and businesses, recruiters are saying to me, recruiters that we have worked with for years and trained and helped, they're saying, I'm excited that jobs like call center employment and other positions that could be done anywhere but were never deemed as okay to do remote. Like now that we've gone through a pandemic and everything went remote overnight, mm-hmm. now companies are saying, Hiring more and more people with disabilities to work remotely is something we feel we can really do. Yep. And and I'm just grateful that we were technology, we were early adapters of technology in remote training and online training so that when the pandemic hit, our school in Center City Philly went remote overnight. We called everybody up. We got their personal emails. We said, use your phone if you have to, so we get a computer at your house. But we're going to keep this learning thing going. <laughs> you know what? Thank, thank goodness you were able to do that. You know, I mean, that that is the, the difference between success and failure. You know, I mean, right. that's that's amazing. Yeah, we went we went remote overnight, and um, I, I thank my lucky stars every day that everybody had a laptop and we were able to do that, you know, but not everybody was. And, you know, right. trying to keep everybody safe is, is one of my very top powers. priorities. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, those, these were, these were, we can figure it out moments for all of us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, Share with the listeners a little bit. The, um, there's there's the Sierra Group, and you we just talked about the Sierra Group Foundation. Mm-hmm. Explain how they they operate independently, but they share a common goal. And um, why don't you kind of go into a, just a little bit of detail about how they're alike and how they differ? I'm happy to. If a person is already working as an employee at a company and they need some accommodation help, that's Sierra Group Incorporated. We go out, we're hired by the employer, we help them with that situation, we help if it gets sticky or tricky and they think it, you know, maybe the accommodation is going to be an undue hardship. We get together and try to figure out if there's a way to make it possible, easier than what everybody might have had in mind. Also, on the Sierra Group Incorporated, we um, create systems within organizations to be sure that they're as accessible as they want to be, helping them with recruitment and onboarding and everything that they need to know. On the Sierra Group Foundation, that's where we're working with individuals, typically an individual who has maybe grown up in poverty or they have not been able to overcome the digital divide, finance or internet access, computer skills, they have a disability and based on socioeconomic factors, they don't necessarily have the tech skills that everyone else in the job market has already mastered. That's where our foundation comes in and we're really committed to overcoming the digital divide and doing that with state-of-the-art technology that's fully digitally accessible. So that's kind of the difference. In a nutshell. <laughs> that, I mean, I, I was listening when you were, I mean, early, just a few minutes ago when you were talking about the Sierra Group Foundation, 
um, but we were talking more about the adult vocational training. I, I understand that you place something like 73% of the graduates each year. We do. That's we incredible. Do. How do you do that with employer partners or what, what's your process like? Well, and that, that kind of took us back to our roots, having started out as a company that largely works for business and for employers. We learned a heck of a lot about what business wants when they hire somebody <laughs> and what they need, what they're really seeking by way of their um, disability recruitment initiative. And then when we took over the training school that we'd helped found here in Philly, it made sense call up all of our local corporate customers and okay. say, hey, I've got a pipeline of talent for you. We put people in as short-term interns, no matter the age of the person. You know, just like you can benefit from a mentor at any time in your career, mm-hmm. anybody going back into a new job can benefit from a quick internship. So we started offering those opportunities to our corporate partners in Philly, and the pipeline quickly became something that's activated. So we have lots and lots of uh, repeat requests for candidates with disabilities coming out of our foundation's training school. You know, you, you made an interesting comment. You had said that a lot of these people that are assisted through these programs are maybe low economic status and, and you know, te- technologically challenged um because they don't have the oppor- <laughs> right. yeah they don't have the the opportunity i mean we've got in you know all the schools now i mean there's a lot of kids in in lower socioeconomic areas they don't have computers they don't have internet they you know they i mean schools are giving out ipads and mobile hotspots now to help but but not all of the kids are even going to get them you know and so there are a lot of people but what i was thinking when you were talking is that you've got your own diversity um, process and, and outreach set up in that, in that program, because you're, you're, (laughs) I mean, and, and again, you're working with people with disabilities who are already having a difficult time and then their, their personal circumstances are making it even more difficult. And so you're, you're, you're doing some amazing things, Janet. That's just, I mean, and, and for companies to work with you and bring those people on, I mean, that's, they're, they're, Improving their DNI initiative right off the bat and getting Absolutely. qualified people. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing. And, and the need to accommodate for remote work, like suddenly our corporate requests for you know help us accommodate everybody that suddenly went home last night with their laptop and has a disability. That kept us really really busy. Mm-hmm. But what was surprising and cool was on the sending home our students who came to us because they weren't that tech savvy to start with and they felt empowered mm-hmm. because whatever technology they had, even if it was the telephone and we were FedExing old fashioned correspondence type lessons to people in the beginning until we could get them some technology at their homes, people's pride in learning, it's just shot through the roof. Like I can be part of the world right now, mm-hmm. despite the fact that everything is closed and everything is happening remotely and I'm learning how to get a job at the same time. The, the obstacles created by pandemic as far as educating people who had previously kind of been victimized by the digital divide mm-hmm. suddenly 
the digital divide had to be obliterated. There was no, there was no other way to approach it. Exactly. So out of, <laughs> out of necessity, we managed to, you know, I'm looking around our 75 computer, 75 computers in an empty computer lab, and I'm like, we got to get those to the people if they don't <laughs> Exactly, because there's a lot of use that could be, or usage that, that needs to be capitalized on. <laughs> right, right. And our partners that hire from us, going back to, you know, the gist of your question, the partners that always hired from us, started hiring more and more people because of remote work opportunities. And they're saying, your people are so well-suited to come in and work remotely or do a hybrid partly on-site, partly remote job because you trained them while they weren't, they weren't physically at your school. Wow. That, that, you need to get some of those testimonials. <laughs> and maybe you already have them, but that's pretty no, incredible. No, we're actually working on that. I know. Yeah. Some, some of the folks that have done this really deserve to be spotlighted in some stories. And, you know, we, we tout that we have more than 10,000 stories of workplace accommodation. I can't wait to add the stories of, of what I'll call a remote accomplishment. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think that's, that's a huge story, Janet, that people need to hear and see that, you know, that it can work for, for other big companies. So we'll, we'll help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Let's do that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I am so very anxious to have you talk about um, two of the things that I was first drawn to the Sierra Group when I learned about, and that is your diver—I'm sorry, your disability recruiter certification programs, and your disability etiquette for everyone programs. I I, I don't know anybody that shouldn't go through that. So. <laughs> So Thank why don't you tell me tell everybody a little bit about those programs? Absolutely. The Disability Recruiter Certification came about because one of our very large customers in the uh, pharmaceutical space said, we're telling our recruiters that they need to recruit more people with disabilities and they need to interview and onboard. And we're not really giving them a solid base from which they know how to do that. Is there anything out there that can train people to do this, but we want to train people up in math. And I had already been toying with the concept of creating a certification program to do just that. So disability recruiter certification is eight modules, takes 19 hours to complete. (laughs) And that's because I know it's a commitment. I did not want to create more talking points without action items because when you learn something there's there's a trick in training that i'm sure you know if you don't use what you learn within 10 days of learning it you're (laughs) not going to retain very much you're going to kind of go oh yeah remember learning something about that one time and you're not going to remember what it is so for each of our modules we have sensitivity and awareness and then you do a practicum which is an exercise where you take on a disability for 30 minutes of your work day and you then write up what you, how you accommodated yourself, what awareness you Hmm. got by taking on the disability. All of our segments have the homework assignment. We call it a practicum and you have to email your results to one of our consultants (laughs) who personally grades them. 
So we converse with you. Nobody gets all the way through to the end and certified without taking some actions that give aha moments and their own story because you never forget a good story or a tough story. It's easy to forget information. So we take the certification starts with sensitivity and awareness. Then we go to accessibility part one and two. First off, Candy, if the job application process is not accessible, fully accessible at your company from job fair to career site, you're, you're going to be screening out countless thousands of workers with disabilities and you didn't even know it. We are strong, strong (laughs) proponents of accessible websites. You know, our our, um, wholly owned for-profit subsidiary, Recruit Rooster, develops accessible career sites. So yeah, that's that's very dear, near and dear to our hearts. So I'm glad to hear you say that because that's and it has to be. Yeah, it's how many like when when we teach folks at the Sierra Group Academy how to go online and search for jobs, they're constantly hitting obstacles. Like I'm using a screen reader, and when I'm filling out the application. I have a blank line and it's not till I get to the next button that it tells me what I was supposed to fill out in the first field. It's, it's really, and, and these are easy fixes. Oh, what excites yeah. me is when someone in the course goes, oh my God, we didn't have a phone number on our website <laughs> that you could call for help. And we added that. And then everybody can be part of the, the recruitment process. So that's the accessibility part one. And then after that, we teach a lot about the accommodation process because accommodation has to be offered at the time of interview. And when you offer the accommodation, we teach people through stories and examples and takeaway tips how not to be afraid that somebody might actually need one. <laughs> what do you do with it? You don't have to freak out. And you don't have to know the answer right then. You hear the request and you say, let me get with my team and get right back to you. It's not as hard as people make it. No. After that, yeah. we we go over compliance because fear of the law and helping to state past without following everything that's in the law, those are the two big obstacles that sometimes I think recruiters think it might be easier to steer clear <laughs> of someone who needs an accommodation then screw it up and get my company into legal trouble. Exactly. We, yeah, we try to we try to bridge that gap with enough layman knowledge of the law and enough stories of how you can make an accommodation work. That's that's probably that module on compliance probably feeds the frustrated, never made it to employment lawyer side of me, <laughs> while being very careful to say we are not lawyers. <laughs> Yeah, I, I get that. I have to, to put that little disclaimer in there on everything I say and do. <laughs> right, right. We we joke in our session, we're not lawyers. And as you can probably tell from our video sessions, we're not movie makers, but we're people that know how to make accommodations work. <laughs> well, we do um, a lot. We do a lot where we, you know, give the legal uh, perspective and then we, we cut over to the HR side where I normally say, this is how you make that, that legal jargon work. <laughs> exactly. You know, so anyway. Exactly. 
full and open conversation between HR, in-house counsel or, or, you know, external counsel, and then talking with the line manager and the people, that's all part of the interactive process. Mm -hmm. People think they shouldn't be talking to legal or HR legal until there's a problem. So much can be learned if more conversational interaction happens every time you're looking at increasing the ability to do accommodations. And that kind of goes to our other big component of this uh, certification for recruiters, and that's full team integration. Nothing can happen in a silo when it comes to knowing all the tools that you need to know for full disability compliance and integration. That That's a critical point, and I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that. I mean, we talk about silos, and, and I think we've really worked so well during this pandemic to collaborate with one another, and, and those silos have just kind of gone by the wayside because – you know, you just pick up the phone or you, you Zoom, <laughs> have a Zoom meeting with somebody and it doesn't really matter what level they are. And I mean, it's it's really been beneficial for us. But I think um, the opportunity to have a team to work with and that way you have a chance to cover all your bases and not everybody knows everything. I mean, nobody knows Correct. everything, you know, and, and to admit that you don't know what you don't know, I think, is a, a critical step in the process. One thing that we do, um, you talk about not having a phone number on a website. We have a quality assurance team that literally goes and checks people's websites. I mean, our members to say, hey, this is missing. Your tagline is missing. This is, you know, you need to put this on there. You have to correct how you have this set up and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, it's interesting. Um you know, if you if you have a person that needs an accommodation and they try to reach out to somebody because they have a phone number or an email address and people don't get back with them, because what we find is that a lot of times <laughs> people don't even know that their name or their email address or their phone number is on the website and they'll get a phone call for a request for an accommodation. They're like, a what? You know, and right. why are you calling me? As opposed to having an accessible website that basically takes any difficulty away for a person needing that accommodation and they now have the same opportunity as a person without a disability to get through the the um selection process process. you know and it's it that i i think we'll get there eventually i think but um i think that message is what needs to get out and i think this this recruiter training i mean recruiters carry a lot of weight because they're bringing people in their front door. And so I think that would be incredible. So they get certified then, right, after they complete this this training? They do. They do. They go on to get some tips on finding the talent who happen to be people with disabilities. And then a pre-interview and a post-offer checklist are part of the training. So they've got some tools in their toolkit. And yes, they are certified at the end. The certification is good for two years. And then we have a broad variety of continuing ed activities that they can participate in to be able to be recertified. Okay. All right. Well, I think I'm Uh, And I should also, I should also mention that CEUs come along with it. You get our certification, our seal, which is recognized and shows the world, including job applicants with disabilities, mm-hmm. that you've taken the time to learn about them. Because people, you know, in the the economy keeps 
changing, whether we're a worker shortage or a worker surplus, but people will always go where they feel like they're going to be welcome. And in addition to that, HRCI and SHRM continuing ed credits can be earned. You can get 18 credits from going through this certification. Yeah. That's incredible. That's, that's a big selling point because boy, I'll tell you what, when you have to get recertified with 65 credits, it's like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) (laughs) I used to teach. I counted one time I had like 489 hours that I had taught in three years and I got nine hours of credit. (laughs) I was like, Oh Oh, no. (laughs) So 18 credit hours is a lot. (laughs) It sure is. Oh gosh. Um, Darn, I was thinking um, something I wanted to ask. Uh, I'll, I'll think of it as I go on, but um, that's that's really important that they can continue their their um, training. Oh, I know what I was going to say. One thing that, that we keep talking about here is the importance, and, and you said it, you know, having people feel welcome when they go to a company. Um, we've right. talked about, you know, some of the creative work that we do um, on, our, on our creative team in, in Recruit Rooster and how they can – do um, you know like videos of of the leaders in the organization or just um, you know people with disabilities or veterans or, or whatever the group is um, and and talk about why you like working for that particular company what it is that that made you uh, feel welcome when you came in the front door and and what I'm thinking is that that certification is something that can be discussed and advertised and and that to your point would say, you know, gosh, we've, we've spent this time and money to do this uh, recruiter certification because we want to make the opportunity for people with disabilities to come into our office and find positions here a much better process for them and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they could go on and, and that would be brilliant um, to, yeah. help, you know, help the people with disabilities and help the company bring those people in the door. You know, because, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. I really like that a lot. So we'll have to advertise that more as we move forward on this. Um, the Disability Etiquette Program, that's something that I think people need on a regular basis. Um, and it's kind of a, a companion, like short course, short course, I think. Um, but who do you see normally that, that takes this course and, and any um, aha moments that you get <laughs> <laughs> from watching this? Yeah, definitely. In fact, the we we intern it's called facility etiquette for everyone. So who's it for? It's for everyone. <laughs> kind of work related, but okay. you know, anybody anybody would learn a little bit more about facility and jobs by by being part of it. But our certified facility recruiters have actually become missionaries for the market. We didn't realize that, you know, as we were teaching people skills, we were, we were creating champions with each and every one of them. And they started coming to us and saying, I wish my line managers knew what I knew. I wish the people in our, even in our DNI space who are completely committed to diversity and inclusion and equity, but they're also not really familiar about disability and the etiquette. We wish they knew some of what we learned, but they're never going to go through, you know, 19 hours and eight <laughs> modules because they're not recruiters. They don't need to know the whole thing. Right. So we created the short course, which is four modules. They total about an hour and it helps everyone learn first off, what are some of the types of disability and how might they 
need to be accommodated in a particular type of job. And then word choice. We're always asked, what's mm-hmm. the right term? What's the right lingo? So we, in this course, took that question to 20 people with disabilities in our classroom and said, what do you think when you hear the term disability etiquette? And it's really eye-opening what some people have to say. Those are some stories that stick with the people and, and open the mind. We have teachers, educators, special educators, um, folks that lead large engineering firms or IT projects saying, oh my goodness, I never thought about all that goes into being a person with a disability and how much people can do or choose not to do or need to do with an accommodation. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of came out of a hidden passion to take a big sledgehammer to this obstacle of digital inaccessibility. <laughs> and you can't just say to people, make all of your electronic documents accessible without eyes glazing over if you're not an IT person. <laughs> so, so we have our fourth module that makes up this one-hour training. It's easy. You can do it all at once. There's a quiz at the end of each module. If you fail the quiz, you can keep taking it and show you, you know, there are prompts there to help you learn what you know. <laughs> but but the last module of it talks about the digital divide and digitally excluding people is the worst form of all etiquette. So we're getting that knowledge in there that it's not hard to be digitally inclusive in everything that you do, from ordering a pizza to having a job application or a job fair where you've got materials in Braille. We throw that all together so that you're not tripping over the etiquette issues as you try to have a fully inclusive workforce. Interesting. Interesting. You know, um, it, it's funny. I can probably already guess the answer to this question, but, you know, <laughs> I, I mentioned before I have type 1 diabetes and, you know, I'm a um, – or, well, let me back up. I, I think, you know, I, I – am really big in the compliance space, so, you know, with, with disabilities, and I, I share the fact that I have um, type 1 diabetes, and, and um, you know, I, I'm a person that, that tries to help our members when they have audits, and, um, you know, they're, they're trying to make sure that they get through the focused reviews for Section 503, which is the regulation for individuals with disabilities. Um, but, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I tend to go back always to, to where my passion is with the regulations. And, and of course, it's it's with um, Section 503, but, you know, VEVRA has the listing and posting, which is basically our, our main um, mission um, for listing jobs for, um, you know, priority referral for protected veterans. Um, what of, of your training is your favorite? What, what is, what is the, the part of the training that you offer? What piece really you know, you get to teach about it and it's like, oh, this is so much fun. I really love this. Because we have a joke here that listing and posting is my soapbox. And, and, and <laughs> they try to have me talk for 10 minutes. I'm like, well, maybe in two days I'll be done. But <laughs> so right. what, is, what is your favorite? My absolute favorite thing to teach and where I get the most fulfillment, I even read a lot of the practicum exercises myself on these modules, is the interview process. 
Okay. The interview is the gateway to actually having a chance to get a job. And without a skill set to know what to say, what not to say, offering an accommodation to every single person before they come, know what it sounds like if you send a digital map of your facility to a person who's sight impaired, they're going to need to have their Uber driver or someone get them to your location too. And if you didn't properly tag that map for accessibility, it's going to sound like absolute garbage on the morning that you're trying to get out the door to your job interview. Like teaching a recruiter to know what it's like to be a person with a disability being invited to an interview. And then once the offer is made, having the wherewithal to ask everyone that you make an offer to, do you anticipate a need for a reasonable accommodation during training and onboarding? Mm -hmm. If you ask, people will tell you. And instead of being afraid that they might ask, go ahead and offer because most accommodations are common sense workarounds. And if you know the person needs it, you can figure it out. So teaching that aha moment that I don't have to hope and pray. I don't get hit with a request I don't know how to handle. Mm -hmm. But instead, I'm bold enough because I've got some tools that I'm going to just offer to accommodate everyone. That's my favorite. Yeah, I, I and I think that's a good one. You know, um, I'm going to ask you one more question about accessibility. But, you know, it's interesting because accessibility on your website will only get you through the interview process. You need to make sure yep. that people can do their job, you know, um, through whatever accommodation that they might need. But, um, you know, it's it's been really good with Director Lean at the OFCCP because he has really made um, the, the, or has really improved the focus with um, individuals with disabilities. And in the 2020 virtual webinar series, um, I was really pleased to hear him say that career sites should be fully accessible so it's not a barrier to employment. Um, you know, I was kind of sitting there going, yay, <laughs> we really like that. Um, but what do, you, what do you recommend as the first thing that employers need to do on their career site to ensure that it is accessible? Well, and that's where my response to that and what I'll say a popular response might be a little bit different. I still say the first thing you should offer is accessibility includes digital divide issues. Put a phone number on there. Put an email address. Don't make it so that a person living in poverty without access yeah. to a computer and AT and a high-speed internet can't really apply for your job. Because you go to the library and you get kicked off every hour. That's Don't a really hesitate. good point. That's a really yeah. good point, Janet. It's practical. It it shouldn't be the band-aid you rely on to not bother making your site digitally accessible for an AT user, an assistive technology user. That should be there too. But go ahead and make a phone number be there. Make it a means and then make sure that that number goes somewhere. We actually answer calls for different companies that don't feel like they should be the one picking up. You know, if that number rings, they don't know what to do. So they route it to us and a voicemail or a person. And there's a, you know, a 24 hour turnaround to make sure that accessibility question is answered. But, but talking one-to-one -one about what people need, the internet job search process was not intended to eliminate people having a fair shot 
getting their applications seen. It was really meant to make it so everybody had an equal shot. The equal's not equal if you can't make it happen online. Yep, yep. (laughs) That's an interesting statement, but you're exactly right. That's very cool that you guys answer phones for people, too. Um, Because like I said a little while ago, I didn't even know that you did that, but, you know, we've... (laughs) <laughs> I, I've talked to people that said, you know, we don't even know why my number's on the on the website. So that's pretty <laughs> Yeah, It's Jeez. not a good surprise to, to get that. Um, the other pet peeve that I have, and probably because of my own chronic eye disease, some days my vision is much better than others, the font choice and the, the color contrast. Everybody loves that soft gray look for the ink on your website. Well, I've got to turn on speech output if you've got too much of that going on because it's hard on the eye. Wow. So that's, that's another simplistic tip that I think, you know, it's, it doesn't take any money to make those two changes happen. Well, and I think, Janet, there are so many disabilities out there that people don't even know about, you know, and right. don't even know that can be accommodated or even how you would even begin to accommodate them, you know, and, and it, it's, again, people don't, people don't know what they don't know, you know, and, and I think if they had the opportunity to gain a little more knowledge, things would be a whole lot different and, and better, you know, especially for, for people with disabilities looking for employment. Um, one last question, then I'm going to do some rapid fire, just fun ones to end on. But uh, what okay. is one common myth about individuals with disabilities that you are working to destigmatize? That we all fall into a category that can be overcome for an initiative. The common myth that if we do a brain to work program for a certain type of folks with disabilities, we've checked the box. The myth is I am as different from my staff who are largely people with disabilities as I am from my friends and from you and anyone else I meet. There are very few similarities person to person. We just all happen to maybe need an accommodation. But they're all different and and everything else, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, yep. I I think that's that's a good that's a good point. It's a good thing to end on. I think um, we're going to be uh, working with you to include the recruiter certification in our academy. And um, we're so very excited, Janet. I, I want to make sure that all of our members know about your training because I, I get questions all the time about people with disabilities and how to hire and, and what they should be doing. And there's so much work to be done. But the good thing that I see is that they're recognizing that it needs to be done. And that's a huge step yeah. in, the right, in, the right pro, in, the, in the process. So. It so. is, and Candy, I'm thrilled that you want to offer this to your members because my mission is for everyone to know what I know about hiring people with disabilities because it's not that hard. But if you don't know, you said it earlier, you don't always know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and having a couple of courses that can really change that in a set amount of time that to me can change the future of employment for people with disabilities. Well, and and you know what, Janet, one thing that I, I, when I first got into this space, I learned that there are so many different organizations and they all tend to compete. And you know, Mm -hmm. by coming together, we all win. Absolutely. And and I don't understand, you know, it's like, what is our, what is our, our 
MO. You know, what is it that we want to achieve? And if we truly want to help people with disabilities find employment, then we all need to come together so we all win. You know, and, Absolutely. and that's just kind of my little mantra. <laughs> so let's end on some fun notes. Um, I'm going to ask okay. you some rapid fire questions. So feel free to say whatever comes to your mind first. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm so ready. <laughs> I, I was reading these. So I was like, oh, I don't know how I would answer this. So hopefully you're better at it than I would be. So <laughs> that's why it's we'll fun. I, I get to be the one to ask the question. I don't have to answer. <laughs> Okay, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? I have daydreamed about a billboard that said recruit disability. <laughs> it happens to be our job board website, but that's, that's the answer to my dream. Recruit disability. Recruit people with disabilities. All right. You put All it out. Right. If you read it, maybe you'll do it. <laughs> that's great. All right. What's the most important thing you've learned in life? Never walk away from a fight I believe in. <laughs> I like that. I, you know what? We, I think we must be twins, you know, from a different mother or something, because I always joke around that if I keep fighting on something and if I keep pushing, it's because I know I'm right. And if I, if I give up easily, it's like, okay, well, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> it kind of reminds I me hear of you. <laughs> Okay. What's your favorite beverage, alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Hmm. I would have to say currently it's a frozen vodka lemonade Ooh. from the restaurant on the corner from me. In here in Center City, Philly, where I live, we have this weird, like, temporary law where you're allowed to get an alcoholic beverage to go. And you buy that frozen vodka lemonade. It's a nice dog walk that time. <laughs> well, you know, on a Sunday afternoon. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's a nice dog walk drink. That's pretty good. <laughs> yep. Okay. So what's the best compliment you've ever received? Wow. I think you helped me believe in myself. You helped me. Oh, well, good. the best compliment. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I was thinking, I don't know how you'd only come up with one. So <laughs> I'm sure you've gotten plenty. So... Okay, last but not least, when are you the most inspired? Mornings are my inspiration time. My journal, my quiet time, my talks with God, that's, that's where I re-energize each and every day, Candy. Okay, all right. Well, you're obviously getting the right inspiration because you're doing a lot of wonderful things, so... Um, thank you so much for joining me today, Janet. I, I know I speak for so many of us within DE, but we are grateful for your partnership and, and really look forward to including the various courses from the Sierra Group, which I mentioned, um, within our academy very soon. I, I think you know this already, but I truly admire the work that you do and the mission of, of reversing the, the rate of unemployment of people with disabilities. For our listeners, you can connect with Janet on LinkedIn or by visiting the sierragroup.com for more information on their program and services. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the DE Talk podcast. Stay connected with direct employers on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast to receive notifications of new episodes each month.